Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Huello. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, Dr. Andrew Michaels finally gets the answers he never found as a boy from the man they rescued at his youth camp all those years ago. What will he do with his newfound knowledge? Good afternoon, everyone. I bring you the rest of the story of the dead farmer. sitting in my office, it's 2020, and I look back on that day, it's a few years ago now, someone from my past, the early 1980s, suddenly sits down in my office and asks if I'm Dr. Andrew Michaels, if I used to go to that church camp when I was a young man. If I remember Eddie and Jim, Chrissy, and Annette, if I was the one that hung out with them, if I'm the same, Andrew Michaels. I know immediately who he's referring to, and I start to recognize him. The years have been good to him. He was in good shape. He's older. I'm older. But he looked good for a man in his early 60s. He was an older gentleman, even then. We were teenagers, and he was in his late 20s, still taking care of the horses, still shepherding all the animals and the livestock of this church camp. Something he loved, something he devoted his young life to, to make sure that it had everything that it needed to be successful within his means. Uh-oh. He was a good guy, and like all good guys, as the story goes, they finish last. Instead of going out and making a lot of money for himself, he spent most of his time donating his energies for very low pay to the community and making sure the community was thriving. So in a way, it is true that Good guys do finish last. But once he got started on his own career after the incident at the camp, when he left that area, he became a very successful young man. Married, had children, started a family. And he lived a good life. He had nothing left on the table undone. The successful entrepreneur... It's 
successful marriage, grandkids. You really can't ask for much more than that. And I was glad to get caught up with him. I told him about my own life. He was very interested in. And he said, uh, of course, uh, there is a reason I came here, and that is to ask you if you really are a paranormal investigator working for the United States government. I shook my head and I said, yes, I am. I can't deny it. And I wouldn't say I'm your average run-of-the-mill paranormal investigator. My job is to decide whether or not these things are of alien origin or terrestrial origin and then put them to rest. Categorize, clarify, write up a report, make sure they are dealt with, and not to leave mysteries untold and undone. And I told him, I have a feeling you're going to ask me about what happened back then when we rescued you in the woods. You were unconscious when I found you, so I don't know what you saw. What put you in that situation I never found out. But I will tell you, before we get started, I saw something there that night. Something picked me up, threw me, through the air, twenty feet. Luckily I landed and skidded across the ground and didn't get hurt. Whatever it was knocked my brother down, knocked me down, and we had a healthy fear of it. We did not try to fight back. No, sir. And if I might be quite honest, I don't think the fire department and the police that came that night did either. How about you tell me what happened to you? And maybe we can decide where to go forward with this. He said to understand what happened to me, you have to understand what happened then and what is happening now. He pulled out a small manila folder and he started to present me with some photographs. Very nice, very well documented evidence. You see the cattle attacks are continuing in the area and the cattle attacks started about a year ago in the same area that happened when we were children and then they progressed and he started flipping through the pictures and showed me human victims. Now he said it's very important to understand that way back when, when we were younger, only mutilations happened to animals. This is something new. This is something different, much more bold. Whatever or whoever this is, is now attacking human beings. He showed me victim after victim, and I asked where this pool of victims was coming from. I could tell they were all workers, and that was very curious to me. They were developing the area right outside the actual church camp where we grew up. That area was donated and was in a trust, but the area outside the fence line that was owned by farmers was sold off. And now they were developing that area into condos 
into into cul-de-sacs and homes for upscale customers. The victims I was looking at were all construction workers. Some of them were even investigating the death of their co-workers when they got struck and attacked. This was definitely getting out of hand. They were all killed the same way. Blunt force trauma. And these were strong men in their primes. None of these men looked like they had never seen the inside of a gym. They were all built, young, strong, strapping, young men. Construction is not an easy trade. Developing land and working machines and working a shovel is demanding work. There's nothing harder on earth than being a cement-pouring construction worker, and these men were the victim pool. You just don't walk up to one of these young men and kill them without a fight. But there was no marks on their knuckles, no marks on their arms, except defensive wounds. They were totally overcome by whatever attacked them. And he made short order of them. I looked across the table and I said, you know, I was a good, strong man when I was younger, but I'm not a young man anymore. I hope you're not proposing that I go down there and check this out myself without a team around me. I don't think I can fight off a monster anymore. He laughed and did a small maneuver with his bicep, tightening up his muscle, and said, I'm in pretty good shape for picking up and playing with my grandkids, but I agree with you. That's why I came to see you. There's no way we can investigate this and get to the bottom of it without a good team put together. And I hope you have the resources to do that. The local police force knows we're dealing with something. But even two officers were wounded the other night when they set up a trap for this creature. Luckily, the other officers were able to get them out of there before they were murdered. And all the gunfire in the world didn't stop this creature. So even if we have trained soldiers with us, security team, what do you think we can do to mitigate somebody getting harmed? I thought about it for a while. And I said, well, we're going to have to go over what you did in the trap. But for right now... I need to know what happened to you back then. I know what happened now. This thing is out of control. But what happened to you back then? Why did it do something then? And why is it doing something now? We've got to make a connection. So he sat back. And he told me his story. We told him about seeing the dead cows when we were exiting the woods. He was out just patrolling the area on one of his favorite horses. It was off-season, and there was only a few children stationed at the church camp for the weekend. He decided to take a ride out on the trails and see what we were talking about. He knew the trails in the woods so well, he knew exactly where we were talking about. It didn't take him long to ride back there and get to the spot. He tethered his horse to a tree, took the cigarette he was smoking, 
and snuffed it out on the trunk of the tree that he tied his horse to. He walked a few feet and saw the dead cows at the edge of the fence line. If the farmer had killed them, why did he throw them onto the property of the church camp? It makes no sense. He would have disposed of them on his own property. Everyone around here was a good neighbor. The farmers were very generous, donated some of their land, redistricted, fenced it all off to protect the kids that went here. There would be no reason to play these kind of shenanigans, throwing these dead animal carcasses all over the property for the children not only to find, but to spread illness and disease and lure animals in. The last thing the camp needed was a bunch of coyotes running around the woods getting free dinners. Suddenly he heard a branch snap behind him and the horse whinnied. Something was by his horse, a tall creature, six foot nine at least, black, like the outline of a human being, not a human being in and of itself, not really wearing a hat, maybe wearing a hat, wide shoulders, narrow hips, tall, long arms and legs, a spindly-looking creature, something that almost looked like it was standing in the shadows, even though the sun was brightly shining on the horse and the tree. He turned and called out to whatever it was approaching the horse. It was reaching for the horse's throat, and the horse was jumping back, trying to rear up a little bit on its back legs, but it couldn't due to being tied to the tree. As it pulled and pulled back, Whatever it was became more and more exasperated with the horse, and reached and grasped with both hands now at the horse, as the horse pulled and pulled again. It wanted to kill the animal. He immediately charged forward and tried to strike the creature, but that was not going to happen. It immediately turned and knocked him down to the ground. It struck him below the neck, right on the shoulder blade, snapping his collarbone. He landed in the leaf and brush nearby, gasping for air, the wind completely knocked out of his body. He rolled over, tried to regain his footing, tried to stand up, his right arm completely limp. The pain was incredible from his snapped collarbone. He saw whatever it was approaching him. He didn't know what to do. The only thing he could do was reach around and grasp, and he grasped the rock. He threw the rock as hard as he could, and it struck the trunk of the tree behind him. When it did, his horse reared back and snapped the branch it was tethered to. Not completely off, but because of the green wood of the tree, it snapped and splintered and pulled loose from the tree, and the horse ran around the back side of the tree. The creature screamed in agony, raised its arms. It fell to its knees in anguish. This completely confused our friend, and he ran, tried to run, towards a 
a hill where he thought he could hide. He ran a short distance and realized he was being followed. Whatever it was closed the distance. He couldn't remember a face. He couldn't remember eyes. He couldn't remember a mouth. But he saw the eyes and the mouth. He saw the anguish in its face. But when he tries to draw it, there's nothing comes out. It's like a shadow in his mind. It picked him up and threw him. He careened off of a tree, hitting the tree maybe 10, 12 feet in the air, snapping branches, breaking bushes, crashing into the ground and rolling. His shoes flew off. His socks got caught on thorns and were even pulled off. He rolled and rolled and lost consciousness. That was the last thing he remembered. The next thing he remembered was waking up in a hospital room and was told that he was rescued by some of the campers. The police and some men in suits came in and asked him a lot of questions. By the time he had recovered in the hospital, the camp had been closed. They said they cleaned up all the dead animal carcasses, but there was risk of contamination to the groundwater. So they were going to close the camp for a few years until they were sure everything got cleared up and the well was clean. This story, this reason for closing the camp struck him as odd, but he took it at face value. What else was he to do? The camp counselors were all helped to get other jobs. They were given a decent severance that carried them through. All his hospital bills were paid by an anonymous donor. He couldn't complain. He came out of it financially where he would have been, and no worse for the wear. He healed very quickly. A small concussion, a broken collarbone, some severe bruising along his body. He was okay otherwise, and he recovered quite quickly. But the camp that he grew up in and loved so much was now closed, and it would be years before it was opened. By the time it did open, he had moved on and started a new life. It was only recent events and news stories that lured him back. He didn't live far from the camp, only a couple hours away, and the stories of people getting murdered, of animals being slaughtered, in that same exact area brought him back. The newspapers were forbidden to print the story and legend of the dead farmer, but all the people he met, talked to, said the dead farmer was doing it, that they were destroying his sacred land, and he was going to kill everybody that did it. They even tried to blame it on an Indian spirit, but that didn't ring true. What he saw that day was not an Indian, a Native American. No, a Native American didn't look like this, didn't act like this. He looked like a farmer standing in the shadows. I can't explain it, he told me over and over again. I can tell you he was wearing a plaid shirt. I can tell you he was wearing blue jeans and boots, and a belt. 
But if I try to draw the picture down here, all I draw is shadows. A shadowy creature. Less form and more formless. Something covered in shadows. Well, I looked at him and said, You came a long way to see me. I love a good mystery. We're going to get to the bottom of this. I'll put together, put together a team and I'll let you know where, what and when we're going down there. Putting together a team was quite easy for me. I had a very strong group of men who loved the adventures I took them on. Because when we weren't on adventures, they had it pretty easy. Working out, visiting with their families, living close to home. So whenever I interrupted that, it was for a short little trip somewhere. Usually most of them got extra pay, and by the end of the weekend it was over with. They enjoyed going with me. I told them I don't know if they'll like this one so much. This is a little weird. The police force that he fought off the week before was very professional, and they had a lot of firepower. How this creature got away from that surprises all the experts that have looked at the case. They said, don't worry, we, we understand that, and we're going to take precautions and take extra weapons with us. I actually left that to them. I asked them to bring something that might trap or catch the creature rather than try to do damage to it, like a bullet or a grenade. Something that might, you know, trap it like a net or some kind of restraint to slow it down, something we could use to hold it. And they took that suggestion quite seriously and looked into it. We met up with my friend from years ago and we went back to southern Ohio. He was our guide and when we showed up we tried to be as inconspicuous as possible, driving unmarked SUVs. We met with the local police and two officers went with us. There was nothing to hide. We were openly a well-armed government agency coming in to help a local police force. And we had their complete attention and their complete support. We asked only the two officers be immediately with our team, and the rest of the officers could stay at a safe distance. I had a hunch what we were dealing with, so I took them back into the woods the best I could recollect, and the best my friend could recollect. And sure enough, we found the general area that we played in that those days long ago, 30-something years before. It was strange going back there. And even stranger, when I started to think about my friends, Eddie sniffing his gasoline, my brother smacking that jar out of his hand, the girls we used to chase, they were so pretty, so nice. They were good girls, and you know how that goes. It never goes anywhere. A little touchy-feely and giggling, and everybody laughs at each other, just trying to learn about each other. And it was a wonderful time, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and the memories flooded back. And I remember that tree, and I walked right up to it, 
Of course, the cigarette burn from his cigarette being put out was long gone, and the broken branch was, of course, healed, and somewhere up on the tree further up, carried away by time. But I said, I think this is the exact tree your horse was tethered to. I might be wrong, but I think I'm right. I asked for one of the men there. Do you have any kind of incendiary devices? And just when I asked him, he said, yes. Another man walked up and just said, you think this is the tree? And in a weird stroke of machismo, which is usual for the kind of men that are like lifetime career military, he pulled out a knife and he threw it about ten feet and it stuck into the trunk of the tree. Looks pretty normal to me. I turned and said, you shouldn't have done that. And just when I did, everybody, and I mean everybody, there was 15 men there. We all turned around and saw a six-foot-nine creature standing right behind the man who threw the knife. It raised both of its arms to crush him in a single blow, but luckily one of his partners grabbed him by his shoulder and ripped him out of the way just in time as the arms came down. The creature slammed so hard into its own body from the strike that it made an audible thump. That strike would have killed that man instantly. We all were stunned. Everybody turned around and everybody backed up at least 10 or 15 feet, weapons clicking, clacking, everybody arming themselves to the teeth. Everybody panic-struck. No one had ever seen anything like this before. I told everyone, hold your fire just for a second, hold your fire just for a second. I reached up and I pulled out that knife and said, look, we mean you no harm. Now here I am, pulling a knife out of this tree trunk. I think you're following the story and you realize the tree ties in with the creature. Well, I knew that too. But, unfortunately, no one else knew what I was doing. But they knew what the creature was about to do and he did it. The creature ran forward before anybody could react, grabbed me literally by the chest, ripped me off the ground, all 250 pounds of Dr. Andrew Michaels, and this time he threw me 25 feet away from the tree. And I held on to that knife the whole time, and the only thing that was going through my mind is, don't land on the knife. Whatever you do, don't land on the knife. I crashed into the ground, mud in my mouth. I think I broke three ribs. My hip hurt. It took most of the hit when I hit the ground. Mud everywhere. Mud under my glasses. Mud every every single part of my body. I took my clothes off later and there was mud all over my skin. How it got in under my clothes, I'll never know. It was like being in a car wreck. All of a sudden, I heard an explosion of force. All the men in my team opened fire all at the same time, perforating this creature from foot to toe with every kind of round you could imagine from their weapons. The creature literally was pushed backwards by the kinetic force of the bullets. 
It didn't look like it was hurting it, but it was definitely pushing it away. And the creature was digging into the ground, and you could see the dirt piling up from the back of its feet. I turned around, and I realized the bullets were zinging over my head. I clutched the ground and got as small as I could, and I prayed, Oh, God, don't let me get shot by my own men. Don't let them kill me. And I was laughing. I was laughing and spitting mud out of my mouth and trying to feel my teeth with my tongue to make sure none of them had been busted out of my mouth. And I was pulling leaves out of my ears and mud from behind my glasses and trying to crawl over a small hill and roll down while they were unloading. There was a stop in the firing, and I sat up quickly and said, Spread out, whatever you do, <laughs> spread out. And I'm laughing because I'm a right mess. Somebody yelled, you still alive, talk. And two men were running towards me to help me up. The man, the guide, and the police were getting back a distance behind my team. The team itself was spreading back so they could use bigger firepower. And somebody decided to launch a grenade at it. The grenade landed squarely against the creature and exploded, knocking it down, completely knocking it down. Everybody else took cover for shrapnel. The creature stood back up. Before anybody could act, it picked a log up. And when I say it picked up a log, it picked up a broken log that was half rotten, that was at least 25 feet long, and threw it at the team to the right of it. Men were scrambling. Three of them got caught up in it and knocked down like bowling pins. This creature was furious. It took both hands and scooped up the ground in front of it, literally pulling a couple hundred pounds of mud and dirt up and tree roots, ripping it out of the ground and throwing it towards the team. Fire started coming from the left side, and the men that were helping me up said, Stop firing. We're... we're in your line of sight so they stopped firing and tried to maneuver to a different position now they couldn't fire because they were caught with the creature between them I got to my feet and I realized my hand was still holding that knife I said oh my god I'm a right mess they said don't worry doc you're in shock you're going in shock you're alright I go I might be in shock the tree he struck the tree and I put the knife out in front of me. I couldn't hardly talk. I just realized the ribs were shifting. Maybe one even punctured my lung, and I was gasping for air. My lung might have collapsed. I kept pointing at the tree, and I said, Make the connection. And I felt the tingly little lights coming from the outside of my eye orbit. The rationalization that pain and lack of oxygen was making me pass out. Their good deed of standing me up and getting me out of the line of fire just made my lung collapse. And I was running out of air. And I was passing out. I felt myself go completely black and dark. I couldn't see anything. They drug me away. And what I was told happened next was, they made that connection. 
One of the soldiers pulled an incendiary flare from his bag, struck it on, and slammed it right into the trunk of that tree. In the green, wet Ohio forest, slamming a flare into a tree shouldn't make it erupt into fire, but in this case, that tree started to catch right at the trunk, right at the bark, almost immediately. The other men saw what he was doing, and as some suppression fired and held the creature at bay, as some tried to fight it, as some tried to come up behind it and tackle it, the rest of the team got wise, and within moments five or six incendiary flames were striking the tree. The creature swung its arms wildly like a whirlwind, pushing all of the men back. My guide who was there, had been waiting so long for this. He ran right up to the creature, and he threw a homemade concoction of sanitary hand gel with a incendiary trigger on it, a homemade napalm Molotov cocktail of his own design. He knew what I knew, and we never really openly discussed it. But he didn't aim at the tree. He threw this sticky, gooey gel of explosive alcohol and glycerol on the creature itself, and it exploded all over its chest. Flames erupted, and the creature was immediately engulfed in flames, just like the tree. I started to wake up, and I saw creature trying to put the flames out on the tree with its own hands. It was hugging the tree, patting out the flames the best it could, knocking the flares down, but it was much too late. It could pull the flares out of the trunk. It could tap some of the flames, but they were going up past its reach, up into the leaves, up into the branches, further up in the air and the tree itself was beginning to become engulfed in flames everywhere. The men had called for emergency services that were standing by at a distance. Police cars came charging up the dirt roads that were leading to that area from the construction site. Fire trucks were not far behind. There was a charge of state highway patrol men leading the way. Everybody armed to the teeth but keeping their distance. The creature continued to scream out, not really audible words, but almost like it was saying no or no or please no, but you couldn't really pick it up. And that's when I saw it. There was a shadow from the fire, and it was, it was, it was casting shadows on the men around me. All of our shadows were leading away from the fire and the illumination of the tree on fire. The creature itself, its shadow wasn't in line with that. It stood up, covered engulfed in flames, and backed away. The shadow leading off of it, as it gasped for life, as it saw its energy ebbing as it saw the tree it was connected to, engulfed in flames, 
the shadow from it stretched from its feet to the tree. This was not one of us. This was not a ghost. This was some kind of creature tethered to that tree. This was something not like I had seen before. There was no shadow behind it that I could see the shadow was in front and leading back to the tree opposite, not following the light. It fell to its knees about ten feet from the tree and crumbled into a small funeral pyre and burned into dust and disappeared. The tree crackled and burned and I said, let it burn. Let it burn as they put me on a stretcher. I did indeed have a collapsed lung and I was in pretty bad shape. My guide came up and said, I'm sorry, I should have told you. I think you knew the tree was the connection. I said, yeah, I knew. I just had to make sure for myself that wasn't quite the way I wanted it to turn out. We laughed. He grasped my hand. I thanked him for bringing me, and I said, The shadow. Did you see the shadow? And he shook his head. He said, When you heal, there's more I need to tell you. Now that you know, I, I need to tell you. Get yourself better. And he let go, and he faded into the crowd of soldiers and police nearby and disappeared. They let that tree burn to the ground and the construction workers came in under the guidance of my team and the local police and fire department and state officials. They dug up the base of the tree, completely burning all the roots and everything. Eventually, they found a skeleton entangled in the roots of the tree. Whoever it was that was killed all those years ago was a tall human. A very tall human for his age and time period. And he had a tree planted on top of him. He was tethered like a ghost, a spiritual entity to the tree itself some kind of supernatural creature that was still clinging on to life through the fibers of the tree. They burned every bit of evidence and even crushed the skeleton after they examined it. They left no stone unturned. My report was the normal average <laughs> Department of Navy Special Services report. Whatever it was, Whatever it might have been, we ground it into dust, we spread it out across the land, and it's gone. The government doesn't mind taking care of these issues, but they don't want to hear about it. They just want it to go away. And if you think that's just our government, they're all like that. It's okay to tell ghost stories, 
and werewolf stories to your kids at night to make them scared so they'll stay in bed and go to sleep. It's okay to scare the kids on Halloween. But what your government doesn't want you to know is these creatures roam different areas. And they're out there in the night and in the day. And unless you know how to deal with them, they're unstoppable. They don't adhere to our rules and our sensibilities of civilization. We got lucky that night, and the only injury was mine. It's really funny. I tried to parlay with the beast. That was the official report name. <laughs> Dr. Andrew Michaels tried to parlay with the beast. And I got three broken ribs, a collapsed lung, and a body full of injuries to go along with it. I enjoyed my time off. I got all my work caught up. I can't complain. The story ends right now, but next week we find out what happens after. This is not really the end, but the beginning of a new adventure. So stay with me. I think you'll be excited to hear next week's story and how it connects to this adventure. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.